Really did. Let's open the word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each and every one of us tonight. We love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So 2 Kings chapter 10, picking up where we left off a few weeks ago. Uh, since the last time I taught on a Thursday, I've taught in Hawaii. I've taught up in Lancaster. I feel like I've been gone forever. So to catch you guys up, again, remember that kings, uh, the kings sadly were virtually, virtually, well, all the kings of the north were evil. And the kings of the south, there were a few that uh, had hearts for God. But we know that the kingdom was torn in two right at the time of Solomon because of Solomon's uh, disobedience toward God. That was divided into the northern 10 tribes are called Israel. The southern two tribes are called Judah. And we've been watching how, sadly, the people are getting further and further and further and further away from the Lord. By the way, before I forget, pray for me. I got a, we, our phone blows up at the church office. I'm going to start giving it away to the assistants because sometimes it rings a lot. And there's a, a young man I'm writing a letter for that's in the military that was told if he doesn't take the vaccine, they're literally going to hold him down and make him take it. And he wants biblical grounds for why it's possible that he might, might not have to. I was on the phone with his parents. I've never even met them. They listen to us on the radio. And so they just contacted me to see. And again, guys, um, I don't think, we don't want to divide over masks and vaccines. Can I get an amen to that? We're all one body. Can I get an amen to that? And it's all about Jesus Christ and Christ. If you want to get the vaccine, God bless you. If you don't want to, that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. We all need to do as the Lord convicts us. Amen. That being said, when I hear that they're going to hold down a Marine and give him a vaccine, that concerns me. How about you? What, what, no matter what it is, right? And he's a godly young man and just feels convicted not to do it. So pray for him. So we've seen that through the time, what has happened is they've gotten further and further away from the Lord. And if you'll remember, Jeroboam actually brought in idol worship. Remember what happened is Jeroboam early on, he didn't want his people going down to, Israel, to Jerusalem because he was afraid they wouldn't come back. So he created worship local to them, making it easy to worship. If you remember, he put golden calves in Dan and in Bethel so that they wouldn't go down to Jerusalem. And it's so a picture of the world today. We want to make worshiping God convenient for us instead of obedient to the Lord. And so what happened was we know that they began worshiping, uh, again, in their case, they've said that the calf represented Yahweh. It's amazing how the calf is the same thing that, they, that was being worshiped in Egypt, the same thing that they used at Mount Sinai, and now they want to use it as a picture of the Lord. And then as we saw time going on, they got further and further away from God. And eventually Ahab and Jezebel showed up and we talked about them a lot, but he, it says of Ahab, he was the most wicked king who ever ruled in Israel. And then his wife Jezebel was worse than him. And as I've said repeatedly, she broke her name. Anybody who's so evil that no one ever uses that name ever again, you know they're evil. Can I get an amen? I haven't met any Hitlers lately, no Judases and no Jezebels. And when Jezebel's thrown around, it's not good. Amen? But you know what was really sad is what Jezebel brought with her was the worship to Baal. And Baal was the god of the rain and storms, as we know, but he was also a god of sensuality. And if you'll remember that Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal and said, it's not going to rain. 
told Ahab it's not going to rain. And it didn't rain for three years. And during that time, we see that he finally comes back and they have a challenge to prove that our God is God and the God of Baal doesn't exist. So now as we're getting towards moving further in the, into kings, we've seen kings coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at a man by the name of Jehu. And if you remember, Jehu came along and started off pretty well. And we're going to see that he continues on pretty well tonight until we get to the end of the chapter. So if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through it and then we'll dig into the text. I tell the message, it's not how you start, but how you finish. And point number one, we can step out in confident faith as we trust in the promises of God. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to see in tonight's text that promises have been made. And because of it, King Jehu is going to step out in boldness because he knows when God says it, that settles it. Amen? When God has made the promise, we can trust him. Point number two, God's word never fails. We're going to see that the words and promises of men fail all the time, but the word of God never does. Point number three, the righteous judgment of God can seem harsh when we forget the sinful actions of men. I'll talk about him because he's a dear brother and he's in heaven now. How many of you guys remember Bob, the workout guy out at, at the community center? Okay, we love Bob. And Bob was one of the very first people that got saved when we planted this church. He used to come and stand at the door all sweaty and listen and didn't want to come in. The church started when a community center had to work out, you know, weight areas and basketball. And he would stand at the door. We'd always invite him in and he didn't want to come. And then finally one week he showed up, not in a sweaty tank top, but had dressed for it, came in, gave his life to the Lord. And now he's in heaven. Praise God for that. Amen. But what Bob would get mad whenever I would teach a text where God would punish people, especially like what we're going to see tonight where he's going to wipe out entire groups of people. And he would always be angry because he'd say, what kind of God is that to wipe out all those people? But guys, the reason that we can get angered by that is we don't recognize that those groups of people have always been warned, have always walked in disobedience for a great amount of time, and God has desired to show them grace, and God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? eventually righteous judgment will come. He desires that none should perish. By the way, because I tell Bob, do you think that you love the Amalekites more than Jesus does? The answer is no. And he didn't want to desire that any of them would perish. We'll see that in tonight's text as well. Number four, pride goes before destruction. We're simply tools in the hands of the master. We're going to see Jehu being used, smiley, by the Lord. And eventually he's going to start to think it's him. He's going to start taking some of the credit. God, the Bible says that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if God's using you, it just makes you a foolish thing. Amen? And so God alone gets all the praise and all the glory, and we must never touch his glory. Point number five, the false gods of this world will be destroyed. So too will those that worship them. It's not something that we relish. We hate to see people separated from God for all eternity, but we need to warn them if they worship false gods that the way of the transgressor is hard. We'll see then in verse six, seek ye first, the, or point number six, seek ye first the kingdom of God that compromises the enemy of calling. And then finally, it's not how you start, but how you finish. We're gonna see Jehu be really zealous in the beginning. And this guy looks like he's finally going to be a good king after all the horrible kings in a row, one right after another. And sadly, we're going to see at the end of the text that he falls away like all the others who had gone before him. So let's begin there in verse 1. 
2 Kings chapter 10, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. We can step out in confident faith as we trust in the promises of God. Verse one, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders and to those who reared Ahab's sons saying. So if you'll remember when Ahab was evil, and he was outside of God's will. Back in 1 Kings 21, he says, Behold, God's, Elijah said this to Ahab because of what he had done. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and I will cut off, cut from Abraham every male in Israel, both bond and free. So all the way back some 20 chapters ago, the promise was made that because you've been evil, your family, your sons will be destroyed. You will not rule and reign anymore, and it's coming. And it was consequence of sinful behavior. When Jezebel had their neighbor Naboth, you guys remember, killed in order to seize his land. That's when the judgment came from Elijah because they have been so, so wicked. Many wonder if Ahab tried to multiply his sons. This also tells us if Ahab had 70 sons, he had more than one wife. Amen. Amen. Jezebel's the only one that gets mentioned. And this could also include like grandsons and great grandsons, because some time has gone by, they would refer to them as this, their sons or descendants. But no doubt he had more than one wife. It says, now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also and weapons. Choose the best qualified of your master's sons, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. Does Jehu sound like he's a little confident? Here's what had happened. Remember that Jehu had just killed both Joram and Ahaziah, the two kings, and that God had brought righteous judgment upon. Jehu, remember, if you remember the unknown, last time the unknown uh, prophet who came in and anointed him and told him he was going to be the next king. And then he took the promise of God and he went out in faithful obedience. But you know, when God is for us, who can be against us? And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to cower in fear when we know that God is on our side. So he had the promise of God and the word of God that Ahab's descendants would be defeated. So notice he doesn't sneak in. He doesn't come around at night and jump the fence. He literally comes right out in front of them, sends a word out to them and says, pick your best guy, come on out and let's just do this. Now that's great confidence. And that great confidence comes because he knows that God is on his side. He's basically declaring war against Ahab's sons. Now remember that Jezebel had just died. And if you remember, the promise was made that the dogs would eat her bones. You remember that last time? So Jezebel's gone, Ahab's gone. The older brothers are gone. There's 70 brothers left. They're being watched over and raised up by these group of men, these elders in the city. And now the letter comes and says, send your best guy out. Pick the best of the 70, send them out. We're gonna go to war and we're gonna get back to being what God has called us to be. It had been prophesied back in 2 Kings 9. It says, you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets. Now remember that Jezebel had all the prophets, all the prophets of Yahweh put to death. She didn't get all of them. She didn't get Elijah, but she got a lot of over 300 that she killed. 
And so God remembers when people attack his people. And he remembers the ungodliness and the behavior that she exhibited. He said, for the blood of my servants and the prophets and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the house of Ahab shall perish and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the house of Basha, the son of Hijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of the ground at Jezreel and there shall be none to bury her. And we saw that last week. So that part of that prophecy has already been fulfilled. And what's left is Ahab's sons. You know, here's the problem I think so many of us have. So many people in the world, I should say, is there's this a belief that if I'm living a certain way and I'm getting away with it, that it's never gonna, there's never gonna be any consequences. As long as I just keep doing it, I'll get away with it and I'll be okay. I had some really sad news a lot since I've been gone, but uh, matter of fact, I'm doing the funeral on Saturday for Joe Shoup, who was my assistant pastor for 10 years in Santa Cruz. He was 47 years old. He died of cancer and he was one of my best friends on this planet and his wife as well. He was like an uncle to our boys. Heaven's better, amen? Close our eyes on earth, we open them up in glory. It doesn't get better than that. But also, my son had a friend who uh, he had just gone down to visit and a young man had a struggle with drugs and they, he was supposed to be moving up this way and he was gonna start bringing him to church. And my, we were in Hawaii and we got back from Hawaii and we found out that this young man on Sunday night overdosed and died, 23 years old. And what happens so often with people who struggle with addiction, they just think someone else will overdose. It just won't be them. Because every time they do it, someone hits them with Narcan. And here's, here's Ahab. Ahab's been getting away with it for so long. And his family's been getting away with it for so long. And we think that delayed judgment means it's never coming. And guys, if you've got th something going on in your life where you know you're living contrary to God's will, I want to encourage you, repent before God has to do more to get your attention. Amen? And so Ahab's family have been so hard-hearted toward the Lord and Jehu calls them out. And now they've just won battles. He tells them, get your horses, get your chariots, find your best guy, line your army up, come on out here, let's go to battle. And he's not worried about the size of the enemy because he knows the size of our God, amen? It's just like when David fought Goliath. He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a mere man. He saw a puny man against Almighty God. Who is this God? You know, who is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against our God? Now watch how the elders in the city are going to respond because the word is out that God is with Jehu. Wherever he goes, God is bringing victory. God is on his side and it's gonna strike fear into the elders in the city of Samaria who are watching over again the descendants of Ahab. Look what it says, verse four. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. Then how can we stand? You know, two kings with their armies battled them and they won. How in the world can we fight against him? And so they're recognizing, again, that God is on the side of Jehu. If we dare go out into battle against God's will, they're thinking we're going to die. And here's the reality. We should not go out into battle contrary to God's will. We should be afraid if we don't know the Lord. Amen? Pray for Saturday. Uh, Joe, the last time I talked to him, and then when I talked to his wife, he just said, he said, Pastor Dave, I'm going to have a lot of unsaved family and friends there 
please don't be shy. I said, I don't think you have to worry about that. But at the same time, my heart is I'm praying every day that people will get saved. Amen. Because the reality is one of these days, if the Lord tarries, we're all going to be the one in the box and our family's going to be sitting out there. And all that's going to matter is what have you done with God's son? So here they're saying, hey, we're afraid. We can't fight this guy. This doesn't make any sense for us. Verse five. And he was in charge of the house and he was in charge of the city and the elders and those who reared the sons sent to Jehu saying, we're your servants. We will do what you tell us. We will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Now, this is a sign of being broken. You know, this is how we approach the Lord when we recognize the greatness of our God. We don't come and, and tell God what to do. We don't come and, you know, and, and get in the Lord's face. And, and even when we pray, be careful. We need to come in brokenness and humility. Amen. So what do they say? Hey, look, you're the king. Whatever you want to do, we're good. Because they know if we go into battle, we're going to lose. So just tell us what you want to do. So leaders of the city recognized that God was for him and who could be against him. Ahab and Jezebel are dead. Joram, their son, is dead. And they had no doubt the results would be the same if any of Ahab's sons led their army out into battle. Now watch what he writes back. This is heavy. Look at verse six. Then he wrote a second letter. If you're for me and will obey my voice, Take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this, have them come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So, okay, you say you're with me? Here's what you need to do. I need the heads of those 70 guys, and I need to deliver them to me by tomorrow, or I'm coming after you. This sounds like the mafia. Amen. This is heavy stuff. And see, when you read stuff like this, people go, why would God allow that? That just doesn't seem very nice. Remember again, that these, this family has been walking in open rebellion against God for decades. They've been killing the followers of the true and living God. They've propped up the worship of Baal. They've rejected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's reached out to them repeatedly. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But here's the point. He's not just a loving God. He's also a righteous God. And if he's righteous, he cannot just ignore sin. Amen? Sin must pay a price. What does sin do? It separates us from God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's this great gulf between us and the Lord. And the thing that's in the middle is sin. And the only way we can be restored is if that sin is paid for. And that's why Jesus died. And here we are, people that are walking contrary to God, mocking God, shaking their fists at God. Jezebel and Ahab are as evil as they get. They've raised evil sons. And now the consequences are finally coming. Sons of Ahab are going to die. Either you bring their heads to me to show me your loyalty, or I will view you as an enemy and you're going to die with them. Here's the choice. Bring them out and they die, or you stay there and you all die. I wonder what they're going to do. Now watch. Look at what it says in verse 7. And again, this stuff's so heavy. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him 
at Jezreel. These elders were so afraid of Jehu, more importantly, the God of Jehu, that they were willing to do whatever was necessary to escape righteous judgment of God. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. See, we need to all get to the place. We're willing to do whatever it takes to escape the righteous judgment of God. Amen? But here's the good news. He doesn't just give us a get out of hell free card and we don't have to come to him shaking that he might kill us. He loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows you best and he loves you most. What a great God we serve, amen? He doesn't just desire to save you, but to adopt you into his family, to make you a new creation, to fill you with this Holy Spirit, to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, amen? Isn't it good to know right about now that God is for us? Isn't it good to know that God is in control? Isn't it good to know that God is faithful? And the worst thing the world could do to you is the best thing that could happen to you if you know the Lord, because you're going to close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Amen? And so these guys take these men. And the Bible does not pull any punches. It doesn't water down things. Amen? The thing I taught on to 600 pastors was, I, I taught Acts 20. Is that my... Oh, you got to be kidding me. See what happens when you, uh, that was brutal. Pastor, turn off your phone. Silence that. There you go. All right. But I talked to them just about teaching the whole counsel of God. You know, I'm innocent of all blood, blood of all men, for I have not failed to clarity the whole counsel of God. If you're not teaching the whole counsel of God, you're skipping over this chapter. Amen. Oh, they're lopping people's heads off. Chapter 11. <laughs> right? Right? And you know what's great about this? You guys all know I'm verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And if I skip a verse, I hear it. And I'm glad. That means you're paying attention. Amen? Hey, Pastor Dave, you left off with three verses left in the previous chapter. You didn't teach them. Oh, you're right. But you know what? It's good to be accountable to teach the whole counsel of God. It's in here for a reason. Point number, verse eight says, then a messenger came and told him saying, they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Boy, that's kind of rough. <laughs> now what, that, what do you think that would be for? So now they brought the heads, they take them to the city gate and they put them in two piles. I guess 35 heads on each side, right? And so everybody that came into the gate, do you think that got people's attention? Do you think they might be asking what happened? Do you think they might all realize, hey, you don't want to mess with the, the true and living God. This is what happens when you push people towards idolatry. This is what, you, what happens when you kill the prophets of, of the true and living God. This is what happens when you reject the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it was a warning to all who would pass by. Guys, there were, this picture is so clear. And it's so, it's so disturbing in a way, but sometimes we need to be woken up. This is where people would be going in and out of the city and everybody would see the heads of Ahab's sons and would bring fear to all the people. It was a very effective way to utilize by people of this day to help show who was really in control and who was in charge. I don't think anybody else decided they might want to be king at this point, Right? <laughs> So these are the guys that were next in line to be king. And that's all, okay, so I can be, a, I'm good with servant. <laughs> all the elders who were there, the leaders, they're the ones that lobbed out. They said, dude, we can't, why? Because if God is for us, you plus God is a majority, amen? 
Point number two, along with we can step out in confident faith as we trust in the promises of God, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. God's word never fails. Look at verse nine. So it was in the morning, then he went out and stood and said to all the people, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all of these? Know now that nothing shall fall to earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. Now, Jehu seems to be starting well. Just remember, every king of Israel before him was evil, every single one of them. And he actually stands up and says, look, you guys, it's not your fault that they're all dead. This, this happened because God had pronounced judgment against them and God's word is true and God is faithful to his word and here it is. And so he was pointing to the fact that we can trust in the word of God and the fact that when God makes a promise, we can trust him. And then it says in verse 11, so Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until left him none remaining. So he got the 70 sons and then he found out, are you one of Ahab's friends? I'm thinking most people, no, I never, I've never met him. I don't know who he is, but he was going around looking for anybody that had anything to do with Ahab. And notice it says Ahab's priests. Now, a lot of the priests were already killed, the priests to the prophet Baal at, at Mount Carmel way back when Elijah called fire down from the sky and proved that, that, that Yahweh is the true and living God. But they found the rest of the prophets, the rest of the priests, or at least the ones that were ministering to Ahab, and they put them all to death. You know, men make promises and they fail. Watch any politician, I don't care which side they're on. I mean, come on. Can you believe everything? Most people's things that say, I don't know if I believe anything anybody tells me anymore about anything. Amen. That's why I like to read the Bible because it's the truth. Amen. Everything else just seems like, you know, what's interesting. Here's, here's a great illustration. I love this because he, here he's basically saying the word of God will not fall to earth. God never, God's word never fails. God's promises are already true. There was a man, a famous French atheist by the name of Voltaire. He still, gets, he still gets quoted in colleges today. And he was an atheist who died in 1778. And he had predicted before his death that 100 years from then, the Christianity would be swept from existence, passed into history. He said that Christianity will be gone. Christianity will be gone, signed Voltaire. Voltaire is dead, signed God. Can I get an amen? <laughs> But here's what happened. Here's the more amazing part. I really love this. This is so great. So Voltaire died. He passes into history. And while the circulation of the Bible has continued to grow, the strong irony about Voltaire is 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his former house and used his printing press to print thousands of Bibles. <laughs> the word of men fails. The word of God never does. Amen? And that's why we put our faith not in the words of men, not in the promises of men, but in the word of God. 
It says in Matthew 7, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Guys, we need to take God's word seriously. What is your foundation for eternity? What is your foundation for this life? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And that's why we know that Jesus is the rock. Ahab might have thought he could outwit the word of God by having so many sons, by trying to overcome this curse that had been placed upon his life, this righteous judgment. But again, the word of God never fails. Point number three, the righteous judgment of God can seem harsh, when we forget the actions of men. Look at verse 12. And he arose, this is Jehu, and departed and went to Samaria. And on the way at Bethaked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, who are you? Now, this would be a divine appointment, except this is not going to be so divine for Ahaziah and for everybody related to him. Remember the two kings he's already killed were Joram and Ahaziah. God had had them put them to death. Now, Joram was from the family of Ahab. Ahaziah was a grandson of Ahab or a son-in-law of Ahab who had married into his family. And so they're just walking along the road and here comes this divine appointment. He says, who are you? Look what he says. So they answered, we're brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. And he said, take them alive. And they took them alive and killed them at the well of Bethaked, 42 men, and he left none of them. Jehu's not messing around. I mean, this guy is zealous. He's going out and, you know, and if we didn't know better, we would just think he's just a, a you know, he's just a murdering uh, mayhem, guy of mayhem. But again, remember, that it's been generations where their godlessness has been warned against. One of the most famous pictures of this in scripture is when the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and the Amalekites kept coming out and picking off the, the, the weak, the invalid, the aged, the people that got behind as they were wandering through the wilderness and they would kill them and steal all their stuff. And God said, I have seen what you have done and I'm going to judge you, righteously judge you. Do you know the Lord waited 300 years to bring the judgment? He gave them 300 years to repent. And again, in the end, we know that God told King Saul to kill all the Amalekites. If you remember the story from 1 Samuel and what happened, he brought back the king of the Amalekites, uh, King Agag, and was marching him through town. And, and, and he was told, you're supposed to have killed them all. And remember that he was brought before Samuel and Samuel took out a sword and cut Agag into pieces. Because Agag is a type or a picture of the flesh, and the only way you can put the flesh to death is with the word of God. Amen? So here this, this is just seems like, wow, look at all this judgment that's coming all at once. We've already got the 70 sons. Now we've got 42 more of the grandsons. And in addition to all the people that says the priests and all the friends and everybody else has been killed, there's been this great slaughter. And again, if we just look at this from a human perspective, we feel bad for these people who are killed. And the Lord doesn't want them to pass into eternity apart from, from him either. 
But again, we cannot mock God and expect that we'll be okay. Guys, at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's acting in complete and total obedience to God's command to strike down the house of Ahab. And when we read such accounts of righteous judgment, it can cause some to question or even be angry with God because we forget the sinful choices that brought about the consequences. How much would it hurt you if somebody murdered your spouse, or one of your children? And what if they did it for decades? What if they just kept doing it? And what if they went after all your children and drew them away so they would spend eternity separated from Almighty God? And they were warned, and they were warned again, and they were warned again, and they were warned again, and they just kept doing it. That's exactly what Ahab has done. They were slaughtering God's prophets. They were drawing God's... He's supposed to be the king of Israel. He is the king over God's people. They have come into the land of promise, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the miraculous. And what does he do? He turns God's people away from the true and living God to worship the idol Baal and the idol Asheroth. And it grieves the heart of God because he is our heavenly father. Amen. And he loves his children. And when people go after his children, he can suffer long, but eventually, because he is a good father, he's going to bring righteous judgment. Amen? I hope that makes more sense, and I understand the struggle that will come. So Ahab was the most evil king who ever lived. He killed the prophets of God. He turned God's people towards false idols. Sin has consequences, and it's only when we take sin lightly that we question the righteous judgment of God. I thank God every single day that I'm forgiven. How about you? I, I just, you know, you don't want a globe that you can only go north or south for so long, right? Because if you go north too long, you start going south again. Right? So if you go too far north, you start going south. If you go too far south, you start going north. Do you know that you can go east or west forever? You can just go east and just keep going east, and you go east to the Lord, you can just keep going east. That's why I love that the Bible says that He has separated our sin as far as the east is from the west. He chooses to remember it no more. We are forgiven. Praise God. And our burden should be for those who are not forgiven yet. Amen. Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. Point number four, pride goes before destruction. Now this can happen and be careful. Be careful. Now when he departed from there, this is Jehu, he met Johanadab, the son of Rahab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right? As my heart is toward your heart. And Johanadab said, it is it is. And Jacob said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up to him into his chariot. Now, you may have never heard of these people, but the Rehabites, they did not believe. They kind of lived like sojourners. And what, they're kind of like the Bedouins. Anybody ever been to Israel? I've been four times. The Bedouins, here's what they do. They still live in tents. But what's funny about it is they live in these black tents and they move them around all the time. But what's funny now when you drive by, they got, a, they got direct TV and a satellite dish and they got an 80-inch TV in their tent. 
in a microwave, and you know what I mean? So it's a little different than these days. But what they wouldn't do is they would not plant fields, and they, they would not build permanent homes, and they went around teaching people to obey the word of God. So they were very devout in their faith. They were almost, you know, very pious in a way. And so he runs into one of these men who's the leader of these pious people who live in tents and travel from place to place. And Jehu wants to know, are you, are you for me? Now, Jehu, at this point, if you're against him, you're in trouble. Word might be out, bro. I'm, on your, I'm good. We're good. I'm on your side. I'm with you, bro. We're good. So he says, yeah, it, it is. And he grabs him by the hand. Now he's riding with him in his chariot. And then it says this. Then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in the chariot. Now Jehu says, come with me and check out my zeal for the Lord. Does that sound like a humble human being? First of all, there's nothing more nauseating than meeting somebody who wants to tell you how amazing they are in the way they serve God. And I meet them often. When you're a pastor, you get it. Oh, let me tell you what I do for the Lord. And let me just tell you what I've done. And I've done this. I'm, I'm oh, God's so blessed to have you on his side. What would he do without you? Amen. And there's this mentality. And it's just, you know, they want, every time I speak at a conference, they want me to do a, a bio. And I never do it. Because some of these bios are sickening. Now, not the Calvary guys, they get it. But every once in a while, I went to one, this, this, this pastor was speaking and watching DC. I'm not kidding, his bio took seven minutes to read. And he told, he told all the wonderful, amazing things he's done. And, I'm, and I just literally leaned over the table and go, wow, God's lucky he's on his side, huh? What would God do without him? Well, here's what's starting to happen to Jehu. Watch me, check out my zeal. Check out my walk. Look at me, follow me around, bro. You're gonna see something. Now see, why is he won the battles? Because God's on his side. You've heard me use that illustration. We're just tools in the hands of the master, amen? So, you know, a drill bit in my hand destroys my teeth, put it in the hand of the dentist, I get a root canal and I feel better. And the reality is, if we're not in the hands of the Lord, we're gonna do more damage than good. And when we start to think it's us and forget that it's the Lord, it grieves the heart of God. Jehu was on his way down. See, at first he was very zealous, he was being faithful. He was fearless. He trusted what the word of God said. And now he's starting to take some of the credit. It truly, truly is tragic. Now, these guys that they're with, the Rehobites, let me just read a verse for you. It's out of Jeremiah 35. It says, we, shall, we will drink no wine. For John and Dab, the son of Rahab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So, like the Nazarite vow, remember no alcohol. Remember uh, Sam, uh, Samson, right? No, you don't touch the wine. You know, no, no alcohol. Don't touch any dead thing. You don't cut your hair. And these were all outward signs to speak of their inward relationship with God. And so too, they just wanted to be sojourners. They didn't want to be so tied down to things of the world that they couldn't minister to people. We all need to be careful. We need to be. We need to work hard. Uh, the Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. We need to be the best workers in the building when we go to work, wherever we work, have the best attitude. And we need to provide for our families and do those things and buying a house is fine. But we need to make sure that our career doesn't come before God or the house doesn't come before God or the stuff doesn't come before God. Amen? 
because this is temporary. And they knew this, and they were the model of it, and now he's hanging out with Jehu, starting to get pretty puffed up and feel pretty good about himself. Don't you hate pride in other people? Amen. Anybody struggle with pride besides me? We all do, don't we? We do. You know how we, you know how we do? If we get mistreated, who do you think you're, you don't treat me like that. Wait a minute. If you're a servant, you can treat me however you want. Amen. And we, we can, we struggle with pride. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And guys, we don't want to compare ourselves to people, compare ourselves to Christ. It'll keep us humble. So come with me, let me show you my zeal, the zeal for the Lord I have. And he got in his chariot. In verse 17, and when he had come to Samaria, he killed all who remained of Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Man, Ahab had some relatives. Because everywhere he goes, he's finding more and more people related to him, and he's killing them all. He's wiping them off the face of the earth, and the reason being also so they may never be in a position to rule again. Jesus wants us to be passionate about what we're doing, but he also wants us to be humble at the same time. Revelation 3 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. So zeal is a good thing, but it should be done in humility. We should have a passion. They had a Q&A at the pastor's conference, and someone asked this question, and there was 10 pastors up there, and one of them was, how do you know the difference between a need and a calling? And a lot of people have that question. How do I know the difference? I see needs at the church, but how do I know if I'm called to do it? And what I said is, you can get in your car and drive home and drive by 500 needs. And I'm not saying you shouldn't get out and help with those needs. Here's the difference between a need and a calling. A need is something that you could help with. A calling is something you have to do. And what I mean by that is you're losing sleep over it. If, you know how you know if you're called? If you can do anything else, you're not called. But when you're called to do it, it stirs you up. It's a get to, not a have to. It, can, it consumes your thoughts. You're laying in bed at night thinking about it. And you know what? And again, you can't not do it. That's what someone who's truly called is like. Amen. And so when you're called by God like that, it's, it becomes a passion. It grabs a hold of you. And here's Jehu. He's in this position where he's being zealous and he's being faithful, but he's starting to become prideful. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, that vindication, and all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. People should see what we're passionate about. See, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you spend time with anybody, very, very much time with anybody, you will find out what they're passionate about. If they're passionate about football, they will tell you when they're, when they're uh, I just had this conversation. Hey, dad, Niners play one o'clock, nine days from now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like football, but okay. And where your treasure is, and you'll see what you're passionate about. There should be zeal and there should be enthusiasm. We've talked about this. Enthousi enthusiasm means filled with God, right? Theos is God, and means filled with. So enthusiasm is filled with God. And so there, we should be zealous about what we do. We should do everything as unto the Lord. I don't want anybody, and don't get mad at me, Ashley and Doug. I don't want anybody teaching in the children's ministry that isn't called and passionate about it. Can I get an amen to that? 
Do the children deserve somebody down there that's going to love them and pray for them and, and be excited to minister to them? What's the answer? Amen. And too many churches are afraid to say that, like, we can barely keep the people we've got. Don't do that. But we need people that are zealous. And so far, he seems to have zeal, but now he's getting arrogant. And now he's acting like he can do this without the Lord's help. If you thought all the bloodbath was, uh, it's coming more. Look at verse five, number five. The false gods of this world will be destroyed. Then Jehu gathered all the people together, verse 18, and said to them, Ahab serves Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all his priests, and let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. So he comes into town, and the Baal worshipers no doubt were scared half to death because it was King Ahab and Jezebel who brought Baal worship. And they were scared up to death because everybody knew that God was with Jehu. And so he comes in and here's what he does. He lies. And he says, hey guys, you bring sacrifices to Baal? I got a bigger sacrifice. Let's get all the Baal worshipers together. If anybody doesn't show up, we're going to put them to death. So all the Baal worshipers, you all need to come. And I'm going to give a big, huge sacrifice. And he's gathering them all together. And it says at the end of the verse, he's doing it to deceive them with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. It's interesting that when he fought early on, he was very upfront. Do you remember the very first time when he said, get your best champion and bring him out here. I know God's for me. Now he's being deceptive. He's being prideful. He's being deceptive. Here, by the way, you know, only God knows the hearts of these guys and maybe their hearts were so hard, but wouldn't it make more sense to gather together all the prophets of Baal and to give them a chance to repent? Amen. Would it be great to just burn down the, 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 the statues to Baal and burn down his temple and say, now, those of you who want to follow the Lord, come with me. And sadly, that's not what happens at all. And again, I'm not, maybe that's not what was God's ultimate plan, but watch what happens now. Verse 20, and Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. You know, get everybody, get everybody excited. Get them all in here. Verse 21, the Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came. So there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So they brought out vestments for them. Here, I want all of them to put on uh, robes or different things that identify them as Baal worshipers. So we're going to make sure that we don't accidentally uh, kill somebody, bring to put to death somebody who doesn't really worship Baal. And so they bring all it out and they, they you know, give them the, the robes to wear that identify them as worshipers of Baal. And by the way, someone who worshiped Yahweh probably wouldn't even put it on. Then Jehu, verse 23, and Jehonadab, the son of Rahab, again, the, the man of righteousness, the man who looked to it was a sojourner in the land, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers, search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, only the worshipers of Baal. So they went looking around to see if there's any worshipers of Yahweh so they could kick them out, not realizing that they're sealing their own doom. It'd be like if they went into a, 
you know, in Nazi Germany and said, get rid of all the, you know, get, they want to get rid of all the people and they're going to bring death to everybody else. And this is so heavy. But at the same time, remember, these are people who were worshiping a false God and mocking the true and living God and shaking their fists at the true and living God and drawing people away from the source of salvation so they might spend eternity in hell separated from God. God does not like that. God righteously judges that and as well he should. So they went in to, to offer sacrifices, verse 24, and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside. And he said, if any one of the men who I brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. So he's got 80 guys standing outside the temple. The temple's packed. And he basically says, if any one of them gets away and it's a guy you're supposed to be keeping in, you're going to trade your life for his. So they're doing everything they can to make sure they wipe out the prophets of Baal off the face of the earth and all the worshipers of Baal off the face of the earth. This is heavy stuff. And watch. Verse 25. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard of the captains, go in and kill them and let none came out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. Then they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it refuse, a refuse dump to this day. Here's this temple to this false God that's drawing people away from the true and living God. God has given them opportunities to repent for literally hundreds of years. And now what does he do? He's, he takes that temple and he levels it. They turn it into refuge. It literally means it became a public toilet. It became a place where people went and used the restroom. It was just, they took the, the sacred pillars out and set them on fire. They, they burnt the temple to the ground. Now, I've said this before, and this is why I will never be president. But if I was, I wouldn't have a problem with, hey, we're going to just outlaw every other false religion. We're just, just going to get rid of them all. And if you want to be able to go to a country that does that, we're not doing that anymore. That wouldn't go over. I get it. Can I get it, man? <laughs> that flies in the face of the Constitution and everything else. Because I, but I'm worried about people's eternity. And God has, God has a heart for people's eternity. And see, while it's bringing destruction to Baal worshipers, it's saving others from becoming future Baal worshipers. Does that make sense? It's keeping people from falling into the same trap of which these people have already fallen. They've bought the lie. They're worshiping a block of wood. The worship, do you remember when Elijah was crying out and the, Baal, the, the prophets of Baal, 300 of them are marching around, oh, we wound ourselves for thee. You know, and then they, they were just, oh, and they, for, for hours it went on. If you remember that Elijah started mocking them. Well, Baal is certainly a god. Was he out hunting? Is he in the bathroom? Is he taking a nap? You might want to yell louder. And then what happens? Elijah goes and prays and God not only brings fire down from the sky, but he consumes the entire altar, everything built on it, not just the sacrifice and the prophets of Baal are put to death. See, if somebody's trying to kill my children, I'm going to do everything I can to stop them. Can I get an amen? And that's what God's doing. He's removing those who are taking and drawing his chosen people away to follow after false gods because he loves us so very much. They broke down the sacred pillar. Does, does Jehu have a lot of zeal still? What's the answer? 
This guy's not doing anything halfway. This guy's in with both feet. He's all about it. But watch how this ends. And it's so tragic. And it may be a warning for all of us. So Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. And again, Baal worship would still exist in other places. Uh, sadly, it's going to migrate down into to the southern kingdom, into Judah. We're going to see it more in Judah as we continue through 2 Kings. But it's wiped out of Israel. It's gone. It's been a blight on Israel for, for decades. And now it's been removed completely. But watch what happens. Final point. Final two points, excuse me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Compromise the enemy of calling. Look at verse 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. What? You burn down the temple to Baal, but you keep worshiping the golden calves that had been set up by Jehoram. He got rid of, he was fierce in getting rid of evil, but he had not repented and truly turned his heart over to the Lord. Now remember again, I talked about this in the beginning, in Dan and Bethel, they had set up these places that made it convenient to go worship and they wanted to assemble to represent the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and they made these golden calves so they would say, well, we're worshiping the true God. It's just a calf that we use as a symbol. Now, Baal was worshiping a false god and the people going there were worshiping a true God in the wrong way, in a false way. It's not truly worship of the true and living God. But here we have Jehu being used mildly by God, but yet he has no intimate fellowship with God. Because if you're worshiping a false God, you have no intimate fellowship with the true and living God. And guys, the key to my life, the key to your life is having intimate fellowship with God. Amen? Not a faraway distant God that I know a little bit about, not somebody who I read about in a book, but somebody that you walk with, that you begin your day in prayer with, that you spend time walking with, that Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and you have a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And sadly, Jehu, God had used him mightily, but he still does not have an intimate relationship with Almighty God. And it truly is one of the saddest things in all of Scripture. Jeroboam, the king of the north, did not want his people to go to Jerusalem. He set up these false gods. By the way, if you go to Israel, there's one of them still there. And we go to one in Dan, and Dan's the northernmost part in all of Israel. And you go there, and they have the ruins that are still there where they would go and worship. And it's a long way from Jerusalem, so it was a place that made it convenient for people to go worship. And sadly, uh, we see that Jehu falls into that trap. Baal again worshiping a false god, and these are falsely worshiping the true and living God. Verse 30, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in your, my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So God, even though we see that he is a flawed man, God says, you know, compared to the other kings of the north, this is how tragic it is. He's probably the best king of the north they've had yet. And he's worshiping a golden calf. That ought to tell you about the rest of the kings of the north. But he says, because you have been faithful in the things I've commanded you to do, 
You will be blessed to the fourth generation. That means there'll be four generations of his family that will sit upon the throne and be king. But look at this. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord of Israel with all his heart. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. So sad that this man had so much of the Lord's blessing upon his life. He was used mightily by Almighty God. God worked through him to bring about his perfect will. He was zealous to wipe out evil, and yet he had no intimate fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It kind of reminds me of, you know, it's not far enough, right? It's not, you know, zealous for so much, but comp compromising in your walk with the Lord. And sometimes we can be quite convicted over areas of our lives that need to change. But sometimes though, we don't go quite far enough when it comes to walking with the Lord. Right now, some churches do this. What I mean by that is they're really zealous, but they don't have intimate relationships with the Lord. One of the things that happened in, in uh, Hawaii is I, I'm now in contact with about seven or eight guys who are planting churches because I love church plants and I'm really encouraging them. And what they're telling me, like the churches around them, sadly, they're so caught up in social issues. And again, should we have an opinion on so? Okay, yeah. Should we vote? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. But should we get to church on Sunday and just talk about politics for an hour? What's the answer? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And again, we should make a stand. We should be pro-life and vote for, you know, for things that will keep from babies being killed. But we need to pray way more than we vote. Can I get an Amen. But it happens in the world today. And again, we can get caught up in politics and the whole thing with everything else, vaccines and masks and social issues. And, and, you know, and some of those things have their place, but that's not why we gather together on the Lord's day. Amen? Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, Jehu obeyed God in the areas that benefited him. See, if he wipes out, all, if he wipes out the kings, he becomes king. If he wipes out the descendants of Ahab, then he has no challenge to his throne. If he wipes out the grandsons to Ahab, he still has no challenge to his throne. And if he wipes out the prophets of Baal, it shows everybody that God is on his side and it's making him appear again like he has a greater relationship with the Lord than he really does. So he's doing things not for God's glory, but in a lot of ways for his own. He did not faithfully worship God. Hosea, it says in Hosea 1, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. So some of the bloodshed he committed was not commanded by God. He was just on a, on a, you know, on a run and he was doing things, again, according to his own will without seeking the Lord. It's good that Jehu carried out God's will, but he didn't go far enough in worship and he may have gone too far in righteous judgment. Zealous, zealous devotion in some things compromised in his worship of God. It is possible to be used by God and not have a relationship with him. Do you believe that? Can God use unsaved people? What's the answer? Absolutely. Can God use... God can use even people that are zealous for something that it's in and of itself may line up with the word of God, but they don't know the God of the word. And God can certainly do that. But what's far more important than anything else is our own relationship with God. Let's finish up. Last point. 
It's not how you start, it's how you finish. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel and Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. If you guys remember when they went to the land of promise, by the way, they've been in the land of promise when you get to this point, 600 years. So it's over 600 years ago that God delivered them out of bondage in Egypt, that they wandered in the wilderness, and then you know, God parted the Red Sea, and then when they put their foot in the Jordan, God parted the sea, and they went into the land of promise. The first time, you remember they had 10, they had 10 people come back and say, there's giants in the land, and Caleb and Joshua said, we can beat them. And because they wouldn't step in, that entire generation died in the wilderness. And now they came back, and God gave them victory. But do you remember that two and a half tribes stayed outside? Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, right? They stayed outside. Why? Because the grass was already green. It was a pleasant place to live. And all the giants were already gone. And so they settled for less than God's highest. God's highest was the land of promise. And they settled for less than God's highest. Guys, we can settle for less than God's highest. Be careful. Be really careful. In relationships and jobs that we take and in, in decisions that we make, we can settle for less than God's highest. So here we fast forward 600 years and notice the first places to go, the first places to be lost, the ones that are outside the land of promise, the ones who settled for less than God's highest. They were the first ones to be taken captive and to be removed from the children of Israel. So now the rest of Acts of Jehu, all that he did in all his might, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Israel. He had served as king. We'll see for, it says in verse 35, so Jehu rested with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria. And then Jehoaz, his son reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. So he served a long time. He's got two chapters in the Bible written all about him, but he did not walk in intimate fellowship with God. Guys, my prayer for all of us in this room is that we not just be churchgoers, that we not just be people that know about God, but that we walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, that we wouldn't just be satisfied trying to do good deeds, but may we walk in the center of God's will. May we not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Amen. Be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Can I encourage you? to be faithful to what God has called you to do in your own life. If you, by the way, if, if you're born again, God's got a calling on your life. He wants to use you. And you know what we want to do here at this fellowship, if you're part of this church? Um, we want to use you. We want to see you use your gifts. If you have gifts, we'll give you an opportunity to use them. We don't want just five pastors doing everything. And by the way, that's far from what's happening here. We have a lot of servants here. Can I get an amen to that? We have people that are called and gifted and faithful in so many different areas. And the church doesn't function if you don't use your gift fully, right? I may have a gift you don't have. You may have a gift I don't have. If you don't use your gifts, you know, if, if we're all eyes, where's the hearing? So we all need to be using our gifts for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And you're in a place where we want you to do that. So in closing... It's not how you start, it's how you finish. We can step out in confident faith as we trust in the promises of God. It's good to know God's in control. God's word never fails. The word of men fails, but the word of God never does. The righteous judgment of God can seem harsh when you forget the sinful actions of men. God suffers long, he won't suffer always. Pride goes before destruction. We are simply tools in the hands of the master. We give God all the glory. The false gods of this world will be destroyed. So too will those that worship them. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Just remember that compromise is the enemy of calling, and it's not how you start, but how you finish. Being zealous in the beginning, but did not walk in intimate fellowship with God, may we finish strong for the Lord. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And I know, Lord, for many, this was not the easiest chapter. But Lord, we're thankful that everything is in the word for a reason. And Lord, may we hearken to the lessons we've learned tonight. Help us, Lord, to walk in intimate fellowship with you. Help us, Lord, not to be satisfied with less than your highest for our lives. I pray for everyone who's here. May you encourage them. Those who are struggling, may you comfort them. Those who are going through a tough time, Lord, may you minister to their hearts. Those who have difficulties financially, I pray you'd provide for them. I pray for the marriages. If there's any difficulty in marriages, bring restoration. I pray for those that are waiting uh, for a spouse, Lord, that you would bring the right person at the right time and give them comfort till they come. We pray for children that are wayward, prodigal sons and daughters that are away from you right now. Lord, may you draw them back into yourself. May you bring people into their lives to speak the truth to them, to comfort them, to convict them, to do what's necessary, Lord, to bring them home. Lord, we pray for this school. We thank you for Hillcrest. What a blessing this place is. We think of this school that started. We thank you that many people who go to church here work here. We thank you that many people who go to church here have kids who go to school here. We pray your blessings upon them. Be with Pastor Joshua as he's the pastor on campus. Use him mightily. And Lord, we just pray for this school that you'd be glorified, that your kingdom would be added to, and Lord, that we would bless them as much as they bless us. Lord, we also want to continue to lift up the city around us. We pray for the Caneo Valley. Bring revival started in our hearts first. And we pray for the churches that remain closed. May they reopen. Lord, and if they're not going to stand up for you, may they remain closed. Lord, we pray for all those watching on live stream, many watching from all over the country. Lord, we just pray your blessings upon them as well. We pray as this goes out on the radio, you would use it for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray for this young military man who's facing what he's facing. Help him, Lord, as he's got 12 other soldiers standing with him, all facing that same uh, situation. And Lord, I pray you would give them wisdom. Lord, may your hand be upon them. May you use this to grow their faith and to minister to others. Lord, I pray for the funeral on Saturday. I pray for anybody who's there that's not saved, that Saturday would be the day of salvation, that people would come to know you, that people would be born again. Lord, we count it a privilege to be your sons and daughters adopted into your family. We thank you, Lord, that your eyes are upon us. You know the number of hairs on our head. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You are such a faithful God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.